businesses have to survive, regardless of what your politics are on this. You have to be able to run your business, and there are ways to run your business safely or as safely as we know how to run them. What we tell clients in terms of how to reopen probably varies pretty significantly depending on what kind of business you are. I mean, there isn't a cookie cutter rule right now that says, okay, you, if you do A, B, and C, you're good. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Andrade, and welcome to the Solving Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Henry Perlowski. He is an attorney with the firm Arnold Golden Gregory LLP, and he's a partner within the employment law practice. He helps employers, employer service providers, and boards of directors solve their most complex legal dilemmas. Nationally, Henry serves as a lead counsel in litigation across 30 jurisdictions, taking dozens of cases to verdict before juries and arbitration tribunals. He's acting outside counsel and a key attorney for clients in the background screening, employee benefits, energy, and healthcare industries. Now, you might be asking yourself, Mike, isn't this the Solving Healthcare podcast? Don't you look for companies that are innovatively disrupting and positively disrupting the healthcare space? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. We're always looking for companies to do that. But right now, companies are just trying to figure out what they need to do to open their doors. Or if the doors are open, maybe the thought is, what do we need to do to make sure our employees are safe? Henry's been spending a lot of his time working with employers about what do they do to get their employees back to work safely? And also, what do we need to do to reasonably protect ourselves so that when somebody catches COVID on our place of employment, we're at least protected from a lawsuit? So I look forward to our conversation today. Whether you are closed and trying to figure out how to open up your business, or maybe your business never stopped running. This is a great podcast for you to listen to because if you don't have a COVID response team and a plan in place for how to keep your office environment, how to address your employees, you might be setting yourself up for dramatic legal consequences. So with that, I'd like to introduce Henry Perlowski. And Henry, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about how you got to be an attorney and why you're the person that is talking to employers a lot about just the framework of a COVID response strategy? Sure. So the why I got to be attorney, I guess I argued with my mother a lot when I was growing up and it was <laughs> a natural field to go into because as a result of that, I mean, the, the, the law that I always thought of is the law you see on TV. Mm -hmm. And that migrated me towards becoming a litigator and then specifically uh, developed a specialty in employment. And as a result of my career has been predominantly based on employment matters, benefit litigation as a result of that, which has connected me to some of the people that you know, Mike, it's a two-part practice. One, you're fighting in court about disputes. The last two and a half months have been nothing about that. The other part of my job is to just counsel people. Mm -hmm. They have difficult issues with their workforce and they want to know how do we stay out of court? I mean, I guess I would say to that, knowing that you're a litigator, that means you go to court a lot and you're either suing somebody or you're defending somebody. Yeah, usually the latter, but you're, you're right. I mean, you know what that process is like. It's slow. It's really inefficient. It's expensive and it's uncertain. Yeah, I, I mean, might say ridiculously expensive. Once you add the words attorney, no offense, dude, but yeah. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I have the running joke. I wouldn't want to pay me, right? But part of it is when you're talking to companies and when this COVID outbreak hit, it's uncertain from so many places. The legal climate is really uncertain. I could talk about that in a minute. 
the science is really uncertain. I mean, people just don't know. I mean, you think about things, we're at the end of May. So now in the end of May, you're hearing things about how maybe it doesn't transmit on surfaces as much as we thought it did, you know, a month ago. And that's, it's just a really difficult, practical problem to solve because no business wants COVID in their workplace. And it's silent. You don't know when it is in your workplace necessarily. So it's really difficult. And that's why companies are calling. I mean, there isn't any real legal certainty that says if we reopen, we're not going to have risk. It's a very difficult time. I understand. And I guess one point I wanted was that given your experience suing and being sued and defending employers in the workplace, it kind of gives you a unique perspective about whatever the condition might be or whatever the the reason you're being sued, you probably have a lot of great experience when it comes to what an employer could have done differently to keep themselves from that lawsuit of happening. But even if you couldn't help from being sued, it's like, okay, what could you have done to mitigate the consequences or mitigate the severity of the lawsuit itself? Is that a fair question? Without question, because I mean, as we always tell our clients, all it takes is the filing fee to file a lawsuit. You can't prevent somebody as long as they have the filing fee of going to federal court, going to state court and filing a lawsuit. What you can do is put yourself in the best position to deal with it if that happens or in the more likely situation where there's some dispute correspondence going back and forth before a lawsuit with opposing counsel. You're like, look, here are the facts. You chase this down, you're going to be wasting your time and effort. So you're just trying to put your clients in the best position to deal with that problem if it comes. So let me ask you, with regard to employers, your primary practice is dealing in employment law. Um, where, Where do you see most employers are right now in terms of wanting to turn the engine on and what advice do you give them in in general? So we're certainly not telling people not to turn their engines on. I mean, that's a question of, because businesses have to survive. Let's be, I mean, regardless of what your politics are on this issue, and I'm not trying to get into any of that on this, but you have to be able to run your business and there are ways to run your business safely or as safely as we know how to run them. So what we tell clients in terms of how to reopen probably varies pretty significantly depending on what kind of business you are. I mean, there isn't a cookie cutter rule right now that says, okay, you, if you do A, B, and C, you're good. Mm-hmm. If you're a heavy manufacturing company, that's pretty different in terms of reopening than if you're a professional services firm. You obviously have to pay attention to what restrictions are still in place in various jurisdictions that you have facilities because you know, what you can do in Georgia isn't necessarily what you can do in California or New York, although it's starting to get a little bit more level as states are lifting restrictions that were in place. It's starting to get more level. So let me ask you, though, if you're in a business that's people intense, you're facing at externally versus maybe it's a bunch of computer guys that are at desks all day, obviously response is going to be different. But I would imagine there's a consistent response in terms of what you need to do to assess the risk of yes. your business. Talk a little bit about what, how you're helping businesses structure some type of risk assessment and some type of plan. So this is for a business that's either you can be just deciding to reopen, you could have already reopened, whether you have a really concerted documented plan or not, or for businesses that have it. I mean, what the immediate thing to do 
you get a core group of people in and you probably want people in from different segments of the business. Now you're talking about risk assessment team. Yeah, yeah. You, You get your risk assessment team together. At the highest level issues, you start thinking about, okay, what people do we need in the, I'll say, I'm going to use the office, okay, or the, the work site. What people do you need in the work site? Because a number of jurisdictions are still encouraging teleworking, certainly for certain segments of the workforce. I mean, I'm in Georgia. We were the first to reopen. Our governor was way out there. You know, he jumped into the water. Mm-hmm. But even in Georgia, at least through June 12th, if you're over 65, there's a preference that you're teleworking. You know, if you have certain conditions that are more sensitive to COVID, there's still a preference that you telework. So you're first assessing who do we want to come in, okay? And that may not necessarily be everybody. As I mentioned, if you're manufacturing widgets, you're going to need more people there than if you're a law firm and if you have a cell phone and a laptop, you can pretty much do your job from anywhere else. So you're making that assessment. Then you're getting into the nitty gritty of the physical requirements of your work face. How do you implement social distancing? What parts of your work site might you not be using any longer? The more communal areas you want to think about, should I be shutting those down? Places where people tend to congregate, you know, the, the around the water cooler, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Do I want to actually shut those locations down? And I would imagine for a company that's spread out all over the country, that pandemic team, it's probably harder to have all of the outreach, but is it important to have at least one person from each location throughout? I I would certainly think so. Because one of the things I would definitely recommend that because what you really want is Mm buy-in. And so having someone from each location on the team who is in effect responsible for the implementation of the plan and making sure that employees meet their end of the bargain, because that's what you're trying to share with your workforce, that it's the, we're in this together. You know, we're asking you to be safe mm-hmm. because, you know, you're keeping yourself safe, you're keeping your neighbor safe. So you want buy-in from everywhere. And I think it's important to try to get it. Now, granted, if you have a two-person office somewhere in Oregon, maybe maybe you don't have somebody from that office. Yeah. But and no offense to Oregon, but you know, I'm just saying to try to get as much buy-in as possible. And someone who I'm on this team, I'm going to be able to enforce and explain what we're doing cogently and demand follow-up. Yeah. So what I've heard you say, Henry, is that just to summarize one, you need a team. That team needs to be as broad as possible, but functional, right? So you need to be able to discuss what the issues are with your particular business. But the main thing is to get buy-in. The second thing is to do kind of an environmental assessment of what needs to stay open for our business. So which part of the company, um, for manufacturing, you know, what parts of the manufacturing element need to stay open to do a people assessment to say who actually needs to be there versus who can work at home. So there's an environmental assessment, but then there's also a people component to say, okay, specifically what people we may have to make accommodations for based on either the age yes. or condition or something like that. Is that right? Yes. And by the way, making accommodations doesn't mean that you're not expecting people to perform their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the challenges that companies are facing right now, and this is probably for certain tiers of employees, if you're a business that has a lot of turnover, a lot of lower paid employees, you're having challenges right now of, of actually keeping people employed because unemployment is richer now. 
than it was before COVID hit, at least through July 31st, unemployment's richer. But it's important. If you have jobs, you're going to expect people to perform those jobs. And I know we're facing a lot of clients who are struggling with getting people back, but that's in one area where the government, Department of Labor, has been pretty clear about that. If you are remaining home by your own choice, you are not supposed to be on the unemployment rosters. That was released yesterday or a couple of days ago, I think. Yes, um, yes. And it's been trickling in places. A lot of the interplay, if businesses are on the PPP program, I mean, they've issued regulations there, which make it pretty clear that if you've made offers to people and they're not coming back, you as a business are supposed to be telling the state that your person's not coming back so they get off the unemployment rosters. So that's been one place where the government has been pretty clear right now. And because we're trying to get people back to work and businesses are struggling to get people back to work. I know I've got a number of clients in the healthcare space, you know, nursing homes, Mm -hmm. and they need people desperately. You know, you're having to double shift people and it's difficult right now. I want to summarize on the COVID team part, but while we're on the subject of folks maybe not wanting to come back to work. What I heard you say is that the employer really is responsible for making sure that the Department of Labor knows, hey, Johnny is an employee. We want him back. He's not coming back. And so is there anything that the, like you would say, a safety test or litmus test the employer must do or should do to make sure that happens? So the twofold things that you can do, first of all, by going back to what we were talking about earlier, you go ahead and have a coherent, plan in place for bringing people back. That plan addresses who need, who should be back, what we're doing to our physical workspace to make sure it's as safe as possible, mm-hmm. what expectations we're placing on employees to be good neighbors to their co-employees, how we're going to respond. Like you actually telling people, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. What you're then doing is giving people as much confidence to come back as possible. Okay. This is a satellite tangent for a second. But yesterday, I got my first haircut for a long time. If, nice. Yes, if you had seen me yesterday, I would look far, far different than I do today. And I went in and it was easy. But they were, you know, you had to have a mask to come in. They took your temperature right when you came in. They asked you questions. When you sat in the chair, it, it was comfortable. Like I had no visceral concern being there. That's what you want to do as an employer. You want to do as much as you can understanding it's different. I mean, you know, if you're walking around the hall with a mask on, it's different because you didn't do that three months ago. But you can still project confidence in your workplace. So for people who have legitimate fears, you know, I'm thinking you're middle-aged and you have a respiratory condition. You have a legitimate concern about coming back. I mean, I don't want to discount that. So as an employer, you want to project as much confidence in your physical location as possible, engage in conversations with people about whether they can telework or not, and just try to be as practical as you can. Have a long view, knowing that for your employees, you're hopefully they're invested in you and you're invested in them for a long period of time, and that you're just trying to get through this very unusual time together. And then if you have people who aren't playing ball, Well, I mean, the answer to that is you're offering them a job. And if they're not coming to work, to me, it's no different than someone who is a no-call, no-show. I mean, they've elected to resign. They should not be one of the many people 
on the state unemployment docket right now. Because look, people who are legitimately unemployed are not getting checks. I mean, that's an unfortunate reality of our current system that states can't process the claims as quickly as they need to. Money's not getting out. The last thing that should happen is that there be people who have a place to go to work who are on that system slowing it down as well. Okay. Thank you for that. And we covered a lot of ground in that comment because I was going to say, should an employer document their plan and communicate it with employees? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Should they have a verbal communication strategy for their folk? Some overly communicate the plan to the extent that is appropriate or more than necessary. Is that fair? Yes. And okay, this is going to be the lawyer answer to the question, more so than just a practical conversation between friends. It's important that you have a clear documented plan, because if there are problems down the road, legal problems down the road, your job as an employer right now is to project that you've been reasonable. I can't overemphasize the use of that word, because the legal climate on claims is really uncertain in terms of how they're going to proceed. But you want to be able to show that you have been reasonable. So you have a documented plan. You have policies in place that you're having people sign off on so that they can't later claim, hey, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And that you have follow-up, either training, enforcement. And I think that's very important right now. So I've been seeing a few either conversations on social media or articles about having employees sign something that either waives their right to legal options or just understanding that they're walking into an environment where we've done everything we can to reasonably protect you, but you're still at risk. And so what's your feedback or thoughts on having some type of signature response, either saying, we don't hold you employer liable if we catch COVID while coming back into the workplace or just acknowledging the plan? I think the written acknowledgement of the policy And the receipt of the plan is really important because that policy is going to place expectations on every employee. Mm -hmm. You are supposed to social distance. You know, you're not supposed to be high-fiving and hugging people in the workplace. You're supposed to wear a mask in certain locations. Or if you're symptomatic, if you have a fever, if you have a cough, you're not supposed to come in. You're letting people know that they may be subject to temperature checks. Certain businesses may actually be doing COVID testing to the extent that they can get their hands on enough COVID testing. So you're informing people of what the lay of the land is and what the expectations are on them. I think from a signature perspective, that's vital. As to the waiver, I signed one when I went into the hair salon yesterday (laughs) and have done some of those for businesses. I will say that they tend to be, it's a state-specific issue, they tend to be more enforceable for third parties, as opposed to in the context of the employment relationship. Okay. So like, for example, let's keep the hair salon example. The person cutting your hair is going to be within six feet of you. They don't have any choice in that regard. The salon saying by coming in, you're knowing maybe you're going to get COVID, but you're not going to know where you get it from. So you're waving us. In that context, for businesses that are customer facing, they should think about that. They should seriously think about implementing those kinds of Now, some businesses might be a little reluctant. I mean, is that customer friendly necessarily? Uh, You know, I I certainly didn't have any problem with it. I mean, it was literally at the time of check-in. I just, you know, put my John Hancock on it, gave it in. 
I had no problem with it. Other people may have a problem with it. So businesses just have to decide what their philosophy is with respect to their customers in that regard. From employees, I would not certainly say that you need to do that as an employer in terms of trying to get a waiver from your employees, because I do have some questions about enforceability of those documents as to in the employment relationship, because employers have a general duty. You may have heard of OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Under OSHA, there is a general duty to maintain a workplace free of known hazards. So you can't just have someone sign a paper and remove your OSHA duty, for example, or your duty under state law, perhaps, to maintain a safe premises. I wanted to now get into more of the legal elements of the conversation. And you know, should we talk about what the federal government is saying you should do, recommendations they're making, or do you want to talk about specific sure. with employers? What do you think is probably the better course? You know, Mike, when we started the conversation and we were trying to talk about what we're trying to do with our advice is to have people be as comfortable as possible or sleep as well as they can. Mm -hmm. Part of the difficulty right now is at least at the federal level, there isn't a set of rules. There isn't a real playbook because the government has been pretty hands off. And philosophically, again, I'm not trying to advocate whether that's a good approach or that's a bad approach. Right. But what the federal government has not done is say, employers, either if you do this, you're home free. And there has been discussion. I mean, you probably have heard of, you know, you turn on any of the cable news, regardless of which one you watch, you've heard that Congress has been at least considering limitations of liability or waivers of liability if employers reopen. That has not yet gotten any traction. Whether that's part of the next stimulus bill that at least I'm, you know, you're hearing is going to be considered next month, at least I think I heard Senator McConnell say that yesterday, that's going to be a fight. I can say that safely, that that's going to be a fight. I don't think businesses can take any confidence that there's going to be a hall pass that Congress grants in terms of reopening. Right. The government also hasn't necessarily said, okay, they're requiring you to do this. Instead, the federal government has been largely quiet. CDC's issued recommendations, more thorough recommendations were released, what, I guess, in the last seven to 10 days mm -hmm. that had been published, but then they were shelved and they were published again. And so it's really the states that have been more active in saying what you can and can't do. And the, where the legal climate has been trending is the lawsuits that have come out so far have basically been allegations that you've just been negligent under state law, that you, employer, haven't been reasonable in what you've done. And you either you know, ignored known COVID situations, you didn't provide PPE. It's been those kinds of claims. So the federal government has been largely quiet. And that hasn't really given employers any security in terms of what they should do. Is there anything in your tea leaves or in your purview that would say that either Congress or somebody at the federal level will address the risks of reopening? I don't have confidence that that's going to happen. I think that's part of the broader political thing that's going on right now. What I'm hearing you say is, hey, look, do not expect a hall pass from any yes. 
if you make the decision that your business needs to reopen for the cash, yeah. the oxygen needs I, to flow. I think you may get some hall passes from state legislatures. Okay. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen any. I'm actually a little surprised in that regard, especially in really red states. I'm surprised that that hasn't necessarily happened at the state level. Because again, the lawsuits that have come out, a couple of lawsuits against you know meatpacking mm-hmm. facilities, which are kind of the low-hanging fruit right now in terms of the litigation world. But there's been a couple of lawsuits against nursing homes. Your easier targets, so to speak, again, it's just you've been negligent under state law. And so state legislatures do have the ability to say, as long as you do A, B, C, and D, you're immune from those kinds of suits. That hasn't really taken a lot, hasn't had a lot of traction yet either. I'm more surprised about that, candidly, than I am about the lack of a response at the federal level. What I'm hearing you say is, as a business, don't expect a hall pass. Don't expect any legal recommendations from anybody. But if you decide that you need to open your business for that business to thrive, have a game plan. So have your team. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why doing all the things that we were talking about is important from a employee confidence perspective. If you're customer facing, it's important to gain confidence in your customers that they're willing to interact with you. And it's important from a liability perspective of if somebody does the truly, I'm going to call it the truly frivolous claim, where somebody gets COVID, there's no nexus whatsoever as to as they got it in the workplace. It's not like, you know, there are five people who are sick who are working next to you on the meat processing line. And it's pretty clear that you probably got it because you were standing next to people on the meat processing line. Yeah, yeah. It's not that situation. If somebody just brings that, you can say, oh, look, we have all of these policies in place. We have all of these practices in place. There is no way you can prove that you got this airborne illness here as opposed to going to the grocery store or go visiting your aunt. You have no way of proving you got it from us. That's what you want to be able to show. Okay, understood. And now well, I want to talk about some of the specifics for reopening for a business. Okay. Question okay. number one is, can I as an employer make my employees come back to work? The answer to that is probably overwhelmingly yes, but I wouldn't say it's an unqualified yes. There are going to be situations where either people have specific disabilities where teleworking might be a reasonable accommodation to permit them to continue to telework, or there may be some ongoing restrictions in your state where you are supposed to favor teleworking. As I mentioned, in Georgia, which people from across the country who think, hey, you were the first state to reopen. You could have gotten a tattoo on April 24th in Georgia. You'd be surprised to know that there are still, until at least June 12th, as I mentioned earlier, if you are over 65 or have specific conditions that are sensitive to COVID, there is a preference that those people still be allowed to telework. So you're going to have to make individualized assessments around the edges. But for the most part, you can require people to come back to work as long as your state is permitting that for your business. Okay. And I presume that if somebody has employees in multiple states, they can come to somebody like you. They can kind of say, here's the lay of the land in each of the states. Yeah. You know, certainly what we're doing as a firm and other firms are doing this as well. We have a tracker of the various state restrictions and are updating it regularly. So if a client calls us and they've got locations in 18 different states, you know, we can tell them, okay, here's what you have to do in Nevada. Here's what you have to do in Idaho. Here's what you have to do in Ohio. Yeah, I got it. What I mean is that 
they can give you a list of employees by states and then yes. quickly say, fold this into your plan, right? Yes, yes. And then that's the part of it. It's continually evolving because those restrictions, I mean, we're now in the process where restrictions are being lifted as opposed to being imposed. Yeah. So, I mean, we segued from the first wave of it was all the calls were, can I even stay open? To now it's how do I open, right? right? Because the restrictions are being lifted that were previously in place. By the way, who knows, you know, if this, I'm not certainly wishing it on anybody, but if this bounces back in the late fall, winter, we may be back to restrictions again. And that I would imagine, I want to talk a little bit about teleworking in a second, but with regards to a bounce back, that's probably something that should be in your plan as well. Because what we're going to learn from now till if that should happen is we're going to learn more about the disease itself and we'll learn more about how we should respond, right? So some intelligence is going to reveal itself by the effort of humanity to help with this condition. And so I would imagine that plan would have to have a section about pandemic resurfacing and what, what we need to do as a plan. Is that, is that a fair statement? What I think the plan has to have is you're saying that you are going to be flexible as a business and that you are going to continue to adapt as more information becomes available to you, that you are going to be paying attention to applicable CDC guidelines. If there are guidelines from the WHO, whatever, that you're going to pay attention to those guidelines and that you're going to meet regularly and you're going to continue to adapt as circumstances change. And you may well mention that, you know, you're going to reserve the right to change things on the fly and employees have to be willing to adjust to that accordingly. And I think the exciting part for businesses will be, how do you dismantle the process of what you do and insert efficiency? And so this is a really good opportunity for businesses. It's unfortunate because the world has stopped. But when you try to find the good in these things, it's like, where can we find efficiency in what we do? And where can we look at our process more succinctly? The old adage is a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Right. I think businesses are learning a lot about, okay, some of the assumptions, you just assumed that this was the right way to do something. You're realizing that there are other ways to do things. Yep. And maybe you can be more efficient in terms of the how you go about delivering your product or your services. You're doing a real evaluation of what you truly need. And you're learning how do people work in 2020? How people work in 2020 is much different than how people work in the year 2000. And you're learning more about that and what's effective and what's not effective. I mean, just old assumptions, I think, are being tested. And that's a good thing. Agreed. Now, let's go back to telecommuting or teleworking. This is probably going to be one of the greatest opportunities for business to realize we don't need as much office space with more businesses adopting teleworking, there's going to be more risk associated with that as well. So but what do you typically tell businesses that in terms of approaching this as a business strategy, some things that they want to consider as a longer term plan for using teleworking? Sure. So, I mean, the one thing, and I think that's really important about teleworking is that you're communicating that the expectations aren't different right? It's that you are expected to be productive. You're expected to answer the phone. You're expected to be responsive on email. You're expected to be timely to meetings. I mean, just in terms of the management, the management in theory should be no different in terms of what you are expecting of your workforce. 
okay, so maybe your eight hours of work is done over a 12-hour period as opposed to over an eight-hour period. And depending on what kind of business you have, that may be just fine. I mean, I know there certainly are business. You know, everybody's got childcare challenges right now because of schools or because now summer camps aren't open. So, okay, so you may realize that someone's not available from 10 to 2, but then that person's available from 6 to 10 at night, and you figure it out. I think one of the challenges, if you have people who are paid on an hourly basis, you've got to really be vigilant about making sure that all of their time is captured under the wage and hour laws. And as an employer, it's really incumbent upon you to follow up to have policies in place that address how time's supposed to be recorded, to make sure that people check that all time was captured so that you're not at risk of wage and hour lawsuits down the road. Certain jurisdictions have requirements about what businesses have to pay for in terms of if your employees are at home and they're using phones and printers and things like that. Do you have to provide that? Do you have to pay for it? You've got to be attuned to things like that. But the first part of what I was talking about is the most important. It's just you're creating a culture that the job still needs to get done. It may be a little different in terms of what the work day is like, but your expectations are the same. Teleworking is not an excuse to sit on your couch and play Minecraft all day. Unless that's your job. So I was the regional sales director for Blue Cross many, many years ago. And call center was, you know, you go into the call center and you just sit at a desk all day. But the people that did really well they got to work from home. And so that was a benefit, right? But in order to stay working from home, you had to maintain or improve the productivity for however it was was captured. And I just see that over time, this working from home is probably going to not be considered a benefit. It's going to be considered an expectation that if I'm going to work for you, then I expect to work from home. And so what I'm hearing you saying is that's fine. Understand that the work hours may fluctuate based on your unique needs, but the expectation of performance is still absolutely there. It just needs right. Businesses are realizing because of the pandemic that it can be done, and so I think there's going to be more and more employee expectation that teleworking is an option. Maybe it's not a full time option, but you know, your employee who wants to telework two days a week because they don't want to sit in Atlanta traffic, that's going to happen more and more. And I think if you're manufacturing things, people have to be in the work site. But if you're not that kind of business, employers are going to have to be more open to be able to attract and retain talent. I think that's the reality going forward. Yeah. And a couple of things that we won't address here, but just just to be mindful of is depending on how focused a company is on its culture, there are some culture considerations that you may want to just be mindful of and and also just be willing to obliterate if moving to teleworking is going to be better for your employees. Is there a way you can adjust your stated cultural standing to accommodate those folks? And then the other thing would be for cyber liability. The more folks that are away from your place of business the more opportunity there is for dumb things to happen. Right. Not a part of this conversation, but just those are two things I would say should either be considered as part of the plan or outside of the plan must be contemplated for the success of your business and the risk of just allowing people to work from wherever. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I'm the last person you want to talk about IT issues in any respect. And that's something I know that our firm did very early on in the process as part of your planning 
is IT is really has to be really engaged. What kind of systems do you have? Your remote capability. I mean, I know one of the first things we did was do a test, a stress test on our system, factoring, okay, now we're going to have everybody using at two o'clock in the afternoon. Can our system handle it? What are our mandates about using our remote network as opposed to just using you know, your home system where your kids letting who knows you know, into your system? So IT's got to be a fundamental part of that early planning process to make sure that you're as secure as you can be. Understood. So I want to take it back to the workplace. I think uh, we're getting short on time. But in terms of business requirements, can a business require testing? temperature techs? Can they require an employee to do that before they come back to work? So historically, the answer was no. But during the pandemic, there is is an exception. So as long as there is a declared pandemic, and that declaration is by the World Health Organization. So as long as the World Health Organization continues to declare us as in a pandemic, you can do what I'm about to say. You can do temperature tests. If you have access to it, you can even do COVID-19 tests. There is more questions if you start doing, for example, we had a client think about doing pulse oxygen tests, because if your oxygen is really low, that's an indicator that you may have COVID. You know, you could have any number of other things too, don't get me wrong, but the EEOC has expressly blessed temperature tests and COVID-19 tests. I, I say with confidence, you can do those. If you start getting more creative and start thinking about some other kinds of tests, antibody tests, although the data on those yesterday suggests that they may not be as reliable as we might have thought they were. Thank you for that. And then the other thing is in terms of physical modifications and required cleaning as a business, is there anything that you must do or is it just part of the risk assessment? It's part of the risk assessment. I mean, again, the frustrating thing as a business is you're not being told that you must do anything for the most part. Now, there are some very specific PPE requirements that OSHA has. Ironically, if you're using N95 masks, you may have to do specific training on those masks because they're deemed respirators. So depending on what kind of masks you use, you may actually have some requirements. So be careful about that, businesses. But cleaning, you need to be smart. The science is seemingly evolving. Again, we were talking about there's probably less of a chance of catching it through surfaces. But high-use areas, you're wanting to clean regularly. Certainly, if you have an exposure incident, you want to scrub that place down, segregate that locations for a short period of time. The best thing you can do is follow CDC guidance. I think if you do that, your reasonability is met, or you have a really great argument. Look, I did what the best health experts in the country told me I should do. How are you telling me I'm not being reasonable? Yeah, and another thing is I see a lot of companies that are in the IT space, and we've developed one for one of our clients where essentially, whether it's an employee or a guest of the company, they essentially have to go online and fill out a couple of things, and they just check the box questions. Do I have a temperature? Yep. Have I been exposed? To, you know, and even there, you're just doing a reasonable job. You're not saying, because the person could be asymptomatic and still be allowed in the workplace, but they're just putting in reasonable precautions to say, we're creating and reinforcing the safety of our operations. It's part of the reality. As somebody can be perfectly healthy and have it. There's very little that businesses can do to 
completely avoid that scenario. But you're trying to avoid as many of the other scenarios as you possibly can, the ones that you can address. Yeah, it's it's no different than a company that hauls fuel for a living. They've got to do a risk assessment, understanding that bad things can happen between the point they actually pick up the fuel and drop it off. But that's a risk you must take in order to be in business. And this is no different than that. It's just a matter of it's just wrapped in a pandemic form. That's right. Is there anything that you wanted to address that we haven't talked about? Something that is just screaming in your mind or just maybe whispering that we should have talked about? We touched on something, but I think I want to probably re-emphasize it. It's just because you have the plan and you've developed the plan, it can't be on a shelf, right? You have to be committed to it on a daily basis in terms of If people aren't meeting their obligations under the plan, that needs to be addressed. Your team needs to meet regularly to talk about the reassessment, deal with new information as it's coming in, be adaptable. It's more important than ever for employers and businesses to have flexible and adaptable mindsets. The more closed-minded you are, the more difficult this process is going to be. Yeah, that's great advice, regardless if there's a pandemic. So, <laughs> Look, I, I love her, but my mother has overcooked the same food the same way for her entire life. She's not changing, right? That mindset is difficult in this pandemic if you're running a business. Agreed totally. So Henry, last thing, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? My email address is henry.perlowski, P-E-R-L-O-W-S-K-I at agg.com. And or you can go to my firm's website, www.agg.com and look me up. That's G as in girl, right? Yes, G as in girl. Okay, agirlgirl.com. Yes. All right, cool. Henry, I've learned a lot from you and it's just a, a blessing to have you on our podcast I can see why you're sought after in terms of how you help your clients, how you help them create strategies, the solutions that you create for them. This is just a delightful conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Mike. It was a true pleasure. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. My hope is that you found some value that you can use to apply to your plan and to help save money for yourself and for your employees. If you'd like more information on what you can do and other creative strategies that you can employ to keep your plan costs low and keep a competitive workforce, give me a call. Number is 832-236-8966. Or you can email me directly at mike at solvinghealthcare.net. Thank you.